to Coach Harris. How are you? I'm good, Sean. Good to be here. It's great to have you, Coach. Thank you for your time. I'm excited about this conversation. First, how are you doing with this time of quarantine? I know you like to be out and about, Coach. How are you dealing with this? Well, I've been inside. My wife and I have been inside. Uh, we go for walks. I go for a jog. Uh, but they uh, have just opened the golf courses starting Friday. So I'll be out quite a bit more now. Right, right. We're going to get into to golf a little later. Definitely, that's going to have you out. And that was another question I was going to ask you. Cause you look great, Coach. You look great. So how are you staying in shape? I said, I hear you said you uh, you jog. Yeah, I've been jogging. Um, I, I had jogged in three years. To make a long story short, I just decided to go do it. Start off with a walk jog. And then, uh, of course, this was when I was in Florida. A little nicer weather to do it in. And I just... Did it in a row. I had like 31 uh, days in a row, and et cetera, nice. et cetera. So, but I haven't been in the weight room. I really feel bad about that. So when you were in the weight room, how often were you going to the weight room? Like two or three times a week? Uh, it just depends. If I was golfing, I maybe went one time a week. If I wasn't golfing, I was two times a week generally. Okay, excellent. Now, Coach, now before we really get into it, I got a couple of warm-up questions, stretchings, if you will. You know, the importance of stretching. So, for one season, Coach, you only select one. You cannot straddle the fence. For one season, as your starting quarterback, are you taking Peyton Manning or Tom Brady? One season, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady? Who are you coaching up? There's no doubt, Tom Brady. No doubt? That quickly? Why is that? Uh... I'm a fan of Peyton's uh, interest and love of football, but I I just thought he was kind of nervous in the pocket. Hmm. Uh, And I I like Brady. He's from 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And, you know, he's a six-round draft choice, and he fought his way and has done a tremendous job. Awesome. So the intangibles also matter. Yeah. No question. I I don't like Tom Brady on the sidelines. I wish he'd kind of clean up that act. A little bit, you know, yelling at his teammates every once in a while and bad words coming out of his mouth. I don't think that's a good example for young kids. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you're going with Tom Brady, though. One season, you're going with Tom Brady. Yep. Awesome. Got another one for you, Coach. Now, if you, what sport would you compete in if you were going into the Olympics? Any sport, what sport would you compete in? Um, I was probably a better basketball player than football player. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, point guard, considering your height? Uh, probably a mixture of point guard, scoring guard. Okay, you like to score. Speaking of scoring, have you been watching the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary? I've watched, I've watched uh, one and two, and I have three and four video, and I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. What's your initial reaction to one and two? Uh, I thought it was awesome. Man. Yeah. I, I, I thought that uh, I didn't realize what an unbelievable competitor he is. Next level. You know, he, he, he couldn't sleep, you know, unless he was competing. And he permeated that to everybody else, which was good news, bad news, as, I, as I'm learning. Right, 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 right. I mean, you talked about Tom Brady, how he treated some of his teammates. Make you want to question probably some of those, the way Jordan treated his, uh, his teammates. Yeah, I think, just think he was overwhelmed. I don't think they really, it really bothered him down deep because they knew they were there to win. 
you know, that's what professional athletes, but college athletes really there to win as well. So I, I think bottom line that they knew he wanted to win and he was going to be prepared. Right. He played. He, he just, he, Michael Jordan's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Enough said. Enough said. Coach, last one more question. We talked about golf a little bit already. We're going to speak to it more later. Your dream foursome. So who's the other three you're, that's playing with you? Oh, I'd like my best friend, Lonnie Beckenhauer, was my college roommate. Um, I would say uh, uh, I wouldn't. That's a good question. I, I would say uh, just my good, my good friends would be the most important thing. Uh, uh, Gary Jensen here, my, my neighbor, Gary Britcher. Okay, so is that total three, Coach? We need one more? No, that's that's uh, Lonnie Beckenhauer, Gary Britcher, um, Gary Jensen, and Walt. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you could have went anywhere in the world. That's great, though. That's great. I mean, Larry didn't make the list. Barack Obama didn't make the list. Charles Barkley didn't make the list. It's You could play anywhere in the world and, and with any other three individuals. No, I, I like my friends. That, I love they're, it. You know, I have more fun that way. And uh, I'm probably very nervous with both those other guys, too. <laughs> especially, especially uh, Michael Jordan. Right, right. You you might be able to. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could beat him, though. He will bet you. <laughs> so he will bet you. You could probably take a little bit of his money, Coach, because you're an outstanding golfer. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> so, Coach. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? I know you said you grew up near where Tom Brady is from. So speak more to that. So I grew up in South San Francisco, which is a suburb of, of San Francisco. And we, we kind of lived in the fog most of the time. It was very, very foggy in our area. I went to uh, the city high school as a freshman, South San Francisco High School. And then they built a new school, so we, uh, our sophomore class went to the new high school, El Camino High School, and then we were the top class until we became seniors. So um, I grew up, grew up there, and, and uh, really uh, ended up going to junior college, called San Mateo, and then I ended up going to University Pacific. So take you back, South San Francisco. So you played football. You also mentioned you played basketball. Any other sports, or you focus on those two? No, I, I play baseball. We always play baseball in South City. It just seemed like, regardless of the weather, we always were playing baseball. My my baseball career kind of went downhill. My junior year, I was third baseman. Okay. Most, most of the time, I was an infielder. I had a good arm. And, yeah, but I third base. had trouble controlling it. So my, my senior year, I, I moved to the outfield. And uh, we had a fence, that's a home run fence, so to speak. And uh, interesting, I led the, our league, and uh, now I'm kind of bragging a little bit. <laughs> Talk to me. Go ahead, Wow. When was this? Like middle school, high school? What league was it? What, what this, time this frame? High school. High school. This is high school. Yeah, one, one day, my grandmother and grandfather had never been to my, a high school baseball game. My grandfather always used to say I should play baseball. And I had three home runs and eight RBIs. How about that? How about that? Four for four. That's interesting. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. My granddad, to this day, says the same thing that I should have stuck with baseball. I played shortstop and center field, and I was a pretty good baseball player. Yeah, I bet you were. Yeah. So it, light, light. I'm very light and quick, I, rem I remember. You said very light and quick? 
Yeah, light and quick. Yeah, well, me, I'm not as light as I, I'm not as light or as quick as I once was. (laughs) It's funny, right? (laughs) Coach, so, uh, so you you went to Pacific to play football, right? And what other schools were you considering leaving high school? Uh, it was not, not out of high school. I had to go to junior college. Right. And, uh, I was, I, I had a really good, uh, I guess I had a really good senior, uh, sophomore year at College Sam Tail. I came in second in the MVP award to a guy by the name of O.J. Simpson, who was a freshman. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was early Michael Jordan. Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Some, we held him to like 70 yards rushing, but he had a, oh, 150 yards receiving. That's impressive. Now, what position did you play, Coach? I was a uh, uh, couple, uh, my first year I was a uh, tailback and uh, outside linebacker. You know, so that's basically uh, I played um, strong safety, return punt, those kinds of things. Wow, Coach, you were on the field. You didn't leave the field. I had I had tried to get on the field, you know, I wasn't very good, so I tried to get on the field as often as I could. What uh, was your jersey number? My jersey number was 34 called San Mateo. It was 30 in high school and 48 in college. 48 in college. Okay, 48 in college. Awesome. And so I called you Coach Harris. You're known as an outstanding football coach. So when did you find the love for coaching? When did I hit you that you like? This is what I want to do as a as a profession. Well, I had I've had some really good coaches in my background. My high school coach, my sophomore and junior year, was a guy named Tom McCormick, who had gone to Pacific, who played in the NFL for quite a while, and then um, he really motivated me to want to be somebody. You know, I would say more than my mom and dad. Wow, um, and so. Uh, and then it, while I was at Pacific, I got to play for a guy by the name of uh, Buddy Ryan. Hmm. Okay. Senior year, Buddy Ryan was the uh, defense coordinator at the University of Pacific, which is hard to believe. And I was playing defense there. I was outside linebacker, eight-man front. Other than three games, I played uh, tailback because our tailback got hurt. And they needed a blocker for our fullback. Our fullback was really good. But... Uh, I think Coach McCormick, more than anybody, really uh, made me realize if I couldn't be a professional football player, then the best thing to do is to try to pass on what he taught me about being a player, being a a person, and being uh, dedicated and disciplined and all those kinds of things. So when you left college, did you go right into coaching or did you go into any other industry? When I left, what what happened, when I graduated from college, I, I went back. Uh, I was a graduate assistant there, paid my uh, tuition because it was expensive school, it was private, and um, I was a GA on the football team. So I coached, I coached, active coach position. The defense coordinator took over for Buddy Ryan, named Ken Blue, and he gave me the, uh, the opportunity to really be a coach. In other words, he, he, even though I was a GA, he let me pick who I wanted to start, you know, how much playing time guys got, everything. That's a great experience. And coach Blue. Coach Blue was uh, uh, really in my background and very, very important as well. So, and then 
I wanted to stay there after my after I got my master my secondary teaching credential, um, but there was, I couldn't get a job in Stockton, California, a teaching job. So I had to go back to my high school. So a teammate of mine who was a, a really good athlete too, um, he came back, to, and so we both started again. So it was a teammate of mine, same same class. And so we, we came back to be teachers. And so then we became football coaches. He was a head frost off coach, and I was a defensive coordinator. And what was ironic is my first year back, my high school coach, who had left to go to the NFL as a coach, who also had coached with Vince Lombardi at the Green Bay Packers when they won the third world championship, coach of running backs, Paul Horning, Jim Taylor, all those guys in the ice bowl, if you, you know, you might see that over the yes, over right, the years. right. He came, he left the NFL, and so he was the head coach at my high school, and I was his defense coordinator. How about that? Came back around, coach. You're dropping some legendary coaching names already: <laughs> Lombardi, <laughs> Buddy Ryan, already early on. And so, so where did you go at after that? Uh, after I. I went back to Pacific. I was I was at El, El Camino High School for a semester and two weeks, and this this man Ken Blue, uh, who became the head coach at Pacific, uh, hired me back to be a coach uh, to be one of the uh, five full time coaches. So I was feeling pretty good, but about two weeks after I we, he got the job and I got hired back, he left to go to the NFL. He had his two dreams: one to be head coach in college. Another to be a NFL coach, and he got them within two weeks of each other. So he ended up taking the one who was going to make more money, which was uh, uh, being a, a linebacker coach in college. I mean, in pros. In the pros, the so pros. So then we had to. Then we uh, they brought in a new head coach by the name of Homer Smith. And I coached for him for two years. Then I I coached uh, all the way. Uh, then I think it was another four years, and then I left. I had a lot of moves. I left Pacific and uh, went to Cal. Okay. Mike White. Then off to the Air Force Academy. Coached for a guy by the name of Bill, uh, Bill Parcells. <laughs> you keep dropping them, Coach. <laughs> I, I, was only, I was only there two months. It was interesting to tell you a little bit about people. You know, he, when you talk to him uh, during the time he was recruiting me to come there, he could really – Hang in there, big. Hang in there. He could really smooth talk you, you know. You could really, you really feel like a best friend. Then when, he, when I got there, when you walked by him in the hallway, he wouldn't even say hello. Wow. <laughs> like he never met you a day in his life. Wow. Yeah, whoa, what's this? So I ended up, I left because I, um, I I didn't like that, and I didn't see a big future mm. there. So I ended up going with a guy who had coached at Fresno State and San Jose State, who I coached against, the name of Gerald Rogers. So I went to Michigan State. Okay, okay. So, Coach, so talk to me about the transition that coaches have to go through. I mean, you talked about you were here two months. Uh, the previous coach at Pacific, he was there for a couple weeks and took the job at, at the professional level. It's a lot of transition and, and ever flow. Like, speak to that, like the challenges and the difficulties. And, I mean, it's the nature of the, of the, of the, of the uh, position. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You have to be ready to move. Um, but my focus was on getting, getting better as a football coach. 
you know, and so I always try to go to places that I felt like I was going to improve as a football coach, you know, and uh, that's, that's, that's what was happening. I, you know, I really got a great break. Uh, I was a defensive coach for 10 years in college. I coached uh, secondary at Pacific, which, by the way, Pete Carroll was my first signee as a football coach, and then oh. I was his position coach. And then um, I went to Cal as a linebacker coach, and then I go to Illinois as a linebacker coach, and then this Mike White, who was head coach of Cal, became head coach of Illinois. And he offered me the job of the quarterback coach. Well, at, at Cal, they had a guy named Steve Barkowski, who was the first player picked in the draft, played for Atlanta quarterback. And then the next, the next year, they had a quarterback who played for two years by the name of Joe Roth, who ended up dying after a senior year of college of cancer that came back at him. Anyway, Mike was an outstanding um, passing game coach, and he had coached also with one of his best friends, Bill Walsh. So when he offered me the, the quarterback job, I said to myself, I said, well, if he's got that kind of confidence in me, then I got that kind of confidence in me. So I went down there, and it, it really changed my career. It really has, because I mean, I know you as a uh, offensive guru and quarterback whisperer, but I did not know the um, your background, early background, was heavy on the defensive side of the ball. Ten years, you know, which was it turned out to be great because uh, what happened was, you know, the guys that we were recruiting at quarterback were guys like a guy by the name of Dave Wilson, who became a first round draft choice, threw for five hundred and eighty four yards against Ohio State at Ohio State. The next one was Tony Eason, who was a first-round draft choice, was in the Super Bowl with the New England Patriots. And the next guy was Jack Trudeau, who played uh, 10 to 12 years in the NFL. And so what happened, we always had guys that could throw. So the next thing they needed to learn was our pass offense and then about defense. And so uh, being a defensive coach, that really gave me an advantage in helping them become better quarterbacks because they, they learned where to go with the ball. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so you coach at two universities that has a connection to me. First, let's talk about the Ohio State. So being from Ohio, uh, you know, I follow the Buckeyes. Talk to us about your time at Ohio State. Well, I, I was there about two weeks of spring practice. I really, uh, I had promised. So I've been an NFL coach. I, I left the Jets. With, uh, Pete Carroll got fired after one year. I was there three years. And um, and so when I got the job, I, I promised John Cooper that I would not run back to the NFL unless I became a coordinator. That that's a lot bigger position than being a position coach. So he bought it, and so I, I uh, stayed at Ohio State. But um, I was there two weeks of spring practice, and I come walking in off the practice field with Bobby Hoy, our quarterback, who was a heck of a football player who hadn't been a good football player. But uh, he had tremendous ability. And I told Bobby, I said, you know, Bobby, we got more talent here than we did the Jets. Wow, that's a strong statement. We had Eddie George at tailback, who wasn't on the Heisman list. We had Orlando Pace, who started as a true freshman. We had Ricky Dudley, a tight end who had caught nine passes the year before, 6'6", 240 pounds that could run. You know, we had players, Terry Glenn, we had Terry Glenn, who caught seven passes the year before. It was unbelievable how much talent we had. Now, Coach, were you there when my cousin was, was there, Corey Stringer? 
No, unfortunately, Corey came out early, or he would have been our right tackle. Well, yeah, I knew it was around the same time. As well as Joey Galloway would have been our split end. We had Joey Galloway, Terry Glenn, Corey one tackle, Orlando another tackle. (laughs) Oh, my god. Ricky Dudley tied it in. Tailback, Eddie George. You know, and Bobby Hoying went from a free agent to a third-round draft choice. Wow. Now, where does Sean Springs fall in that? Was he on that team? Sean Springs was was defensive player of the year and didn't have an interception. (laughs) What a statement. What a strong statement. No wonder you said they could beat the Jets. (laughs) They had more talent. That was a strong team. Bunch of Hall of Famers. All pros. They used to call him the Canyon. The Canyon. Because he could run and, and, you know, when they run the sprints, he'd never get tired. Yeah, cause, yeah, yeah, because they won the Olympics my, all uh, often. My second year there, we had Andy Cansamoyer with a true freshman middle linebacker, 6'4", you know, 260. I mean, it yeah. was unbelievable. It was. Powerhouse. I mean, still to this day, I mean, it's still the Ohio State. It's incredible yeah. the factory they have built there. Yeah, they. You can go anywhere. Even in my day, I would go to California or Florida, and I would I would be able to uh, get a visit out of, out of young men. You know, even though because uh, that would gave me those kind of areas because that's where I, I had spent time or, or recruit quarterbacks nationally. And so, how was the transition from living the West Coast uh, to to the Midwest? Like, how would you compare the two? It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> the weather. The weather. Okay. The weather, just about everything. Because you know? <laughs> when I moved to Stockton, uh, where Pacific is, it, it's got great weather. It's the San Joaquin Valley. It's the richest growing area, I think, in the United States. And it's got really good weather. It gets hot, but it's not humid. You know, so I kind of got, got accustomed to that. I liked it. And then when we went back, you know, we went to Colorado. That I used to get nosebleeds every day going for a jog because it, the altitude was so high. Air was, you know, I, I don't know. I'd blow my nose. My nose would always bleed. Wow. Yeah, so it sucked. <laughs> Coach, so you brought up Stockton. I want to take you to that because I was not aware of Stockton until my former teammate came to play at Pitt, Latif Grimm. So is that how you and Latif connected, the Stockton connection? Um, Latif uh, was connected with uh, our receiver coach, Steve Meshagian, who played at Fresno State and recruit the junior college. So Latif was a junior college player from San Joaquin Delta. You know, so uh, I think that that's how that happened. Okay, okay. And so that leads me to my other university, uh, my alma mater, University of Pittsburgh. So talk to us about how you got to Pitt and just a little bit about your time at Pitt. Okay, I got to Pitt uh, because I became the head coach. And what happened was uh, after... Um, we went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, we had two quarterbacks to Ohio State, Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain. And uh, so we ended up uh, doing pretty well and won the league, lost to Michigan, unfortunately. But we won our league, went and played the Rose Bowl. And so uh, I was uh, interviewed. I had a couple job opportunities, one with Illinois and one was there. Or the other one was State, Ohio State. Uh, and so what happened was uh, I always wanted to be a head, head coach. I always wanted to set the pace, set the example. Um, and so uh, instead of staying at Ohio State, which would have been my 
made my little bit of hindsight, I would probably do a little differently, but um, I ended up taking the pit situation, and it was it was great. It was a great eight years. Uh, I thought we you know, it's hard to be the coach of the year in the league, go to the uh, win the league, uh, and go to the Fiesta Bowl and really get released. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, your um, your work speaks for itself. I mean, by the the talent that was produced, uh, the 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 men that came through that the program and the results. I mean, we helped turn that program around, and you yeah, let us. We we played Ohio State two years in a row. Excuse me, we played Pitt two years in a row when I was Ohio State. Right. My first my first year we played them, and this is amazing. We played them at Pitt. Of course, there was most of the people in the stands were Ohio State fans, and we scored. I think we beat them fifty-two to something, fifty-two to twenty, seventeen, like that. And we didn't score a rushing touchdown. This is with Eddie George and all those guys. But we had Terry Glenn, Ricky Dudley, and a couple other guys ourselves, you know. And we, in fact, I think we threw a touchdown pass to Eddie. Um, and then the then the next year we beat them at Ohio State, seventy to nothing. Right, right. And the cupboards were bare. Pitt had only one all-conference football player. That was their punter, second-team all-conference, and he graduated. So we we were we weren't very a very talented program, but we really had some great seniors. Uh, we had a, a great offensive line, not a great offensive line. But we had really hungry fifth-year senior. We had like three fifth-year senior offensive linemen. We had a fifth-year senior quarterback. Pete Gonzalez, who um, came in my office when I first got there and told me he was quitting because they had started a young man by the name of Matt Lytle before who's only going to be a sophomore. And I said, well, I'm not watching the tape, so I'm just going to evaluate what I see out on the practice field. So you can quit if you want, but I, uh, I suggest you don't. Right. Compete. You gave him opportunity to compete. Yeah, and he, he went on to set all sorts of records. It was it was pretty amazing. So and so it's interesting. You brought up the last Ohio State score when Ohio State scored seventy two points. I had a conversation on a previous podcast with Kevin Barlow, and so you know Kevin being a Pittsburgh native, he remembers watching that game. And one of the reasons why he chose Pitt is because he wanted to help be part of be part of the solution of bringing Pitt back to um, national, um, you know prominence if you will and so so with that speak to uh recruiting and you know pitt's been down for a while and so how did you come in what's your philosophy and uh some of the importance of recruiting well i, I thought we had a really uh we got a, we had a really good inter, uh, school uh, the athletic director uh made it ease better for us in terms of uh travel, have enough money to, to, to actually do the recruiting that we need to do. And, um, uh, but it just, it just takes time, you know. Uh, unfortunately, the Pittsburgh area isn't like the steel mill days. You know, those, those kids who came from the families that worked in those steel mills, you know, those are pretty impressive physical specimens. And, and it just, it's Pittsburgh changed dynamics of, of who lived here, you know, and it wasn't the steel mill people uh, had left. And so it, it just took a while to get us going, and we went step by step, you know. And, um, and we were fortunate to recruit a young man from Ohio that 
with an outstanding punt returner, meaning yourself. And we had uh, I had a, a great defensive coordinator by the name of Larry Coyer. And we and, and like I said, uh, when you turn a program around, it, it's not that just the head coach. It's all your assistants and all the things that those guys did to help make it happen. And, and it's your seniors. Your seniors are the guys that really – this is the last year for them. So they really give it and to – give it their all and also the opportunity to influence our, the younger kids. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I piggyback all that, like the importance of those who are part of, on the staff, because I think of Coach Junkle, Coach Bob Junkle, when he would come to Warren Harding to recruit me. I mean, I, I mean, we connected early on and countless other players could say the same thing, whether it's Junkle or some of the other coaches you talked about, Coach Moose with Latif. So it's about the, uh, the importance of relationships as well and be able to build those relationships. No question. Bob, um, I had a, it was a great little story. Um, uh, I had a stack of, of calls from the high school coaches, you know, that high of stack, a stack of paper, a little of notes of the high school coaches had called to recommend Bob Junko. So I, I decided to hire him. Now, Bob, this is the story of Bob is Bob, uh, make it quick it, it lived away from him. he loved so much being a football coach he ended up going to uh, leaving his family in Pittsburgh and going to Akron and some other places so he lived away from uh, Pittsburgh was he coaching so at the a, huh? was he coaching at the high school or the collegiate level at this time all, all collegiate, collegiate level. level okay got you but he I think he left he was on Foge's staff Foge Fazio's staff and when they got let go he left and he ended up never coming back to Pittsburgh so the night I decided to hire him, uh, what what I did is I decided to call his wife, okay, and, and tell her first. <laughs> so what happened was um, I did not go to the uh, football coaches uh, association meeting because when you have a job and they know you're a head coach, you you can't even walk down the hallway. <laughs> I, I stayed home, and so the night uh, I decided to do it. I called uh, Judy, his wife, and I said, uh, Judy, I want to let you know that um, we decided to hire Bob. And she, and she said, what did he say? And I said, he doesn't know. I'm calling you first. <laughs> right. Because the sacrifice that you made, you could let, allow your husband to continue to be a coach, have three boys, you know, leave them, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought she deserved all the accolades. How about that? How about that? That, that, that was a, that was a unique and wise wise approach. Yeah, it, he's a great guy. I talked to him yesterday. Awesome. Yeah, that's my guy, man. Love love coach. Love coach Jump. So, coach, speak to some of your fondest memories. Maybe give us one, two, or three of them. Um, At Pitt, I think I think beating Notre Dame to close the stadium. Uh, Pitt Stadium was, uh, I don't think I've ever been in a game with more pressure because they invited uh, uh, ex-players. So they they had over 450 uh, ex-football lettermen that came to the game and they had a, a tremendous halftime show where they uh, uh, brought these, these people in. Um, the oldest was a 1920s guy. He came in on a golf cart and what they did, they had uniforms of that era of that decade and the music of that decade so oh, nice. 20s 30s 40s 50s and then they uh, they also let the wife and the uh, if they had wives 
and children walk with the players. So there was no way we were not going to win the game. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> incredible. We had to. And yeah. Notre Dame. That was my freshman year. And Kevin, you know, Kevin scores a winning touchdown, which is an interesting story. He wasn't real excited about going back in. I guess he had a, a hangnail or something. Just, I love Kevin. He's one of my all-time favorite guys. Right. I really do. He van. Right. But, uh, so Vincent White, his coach, um, uh, twisted his arm, whatever, and he, we got him in the game. And uh, we had an interception by Ramon Walker, I believe, either, either that or uh, our linebacker, Scott um, McCurley. last name. You talk about Scott McCurley, yeah. or, or was it when I'm trying to think? I know Ramon made an incredible play when he ripped the ball from the running back. I'm not sure if it was on that time or not, but yeah, it's one of the best safeties I've ever seen in person. Yeah, somebody got somebody here stepped the pass right around the 45 going in, and and uh, I decided to run Kevin seven out of the eight plays, uh-huh. and we rode Kevin's. We rode Kevin. Now there's no doubt about that. That that guy is gifted um and so uh he scores a winning touchdown it's a great trivia question who's the last person to score a touchdown in pitt stadium the history in the history of pitt stadium and it was kevin marlowe and i believe did you give him a picture of that touchdown because that is that when he's handing the ball to the ref I, I i believe he says something about that yeah i i had a big picture that um Somehow I, I got I got had it in a frame, et cetera, et cetera. But it was him handling. I, that was one of the big things that I believed in. Is um, I think we set as college football players, part of our responsibility is to set the example for the young kids that are watching the game. And so the one thing I didn't I didn't ever go for is not giving the ball to the official. I thought that was not respectful. And the other was uh, not jogging off the field. Uh, so the, our players, as you remember, were required to at least run three yards past the sidelines. And I was always on the sidelines. I was usually never on the field because I don't believe the field is where I'm supposed to be as a coach. You know, I'm supposed to be off the field, behind the line. And um, so the two old-fashioned thoughts that I, I live with and I try to permeate to uh, our team because I think it sets the right example for the young, young, young kids watching the game. I do remember those rules and, and remember – trying to fly off the field so we didn't have we didn't get in trouble making sure we ran through the sideline uh even after you know we, we just had a 10 play series wherever the case may be we got to get off the field get off the field it, it's, it's a mindset it's a mindset and it's set and it sets an example plus it looks good true story coach true story uh, so that made me think about setting an example. One of the things that you said and that you implemented years ago, I'm not sure if it was my junior or senior year, but it was a saying that I still use today. It's called love the process. Do you remember that, Coach? Oh, yeah. Love oh, the yeah. process. I use that often in, in my work, in my personal life, getting fit, wherever the case may be. Can you speak to what does that mean, love the process? Well, honestly, it's not a uh, not just my statement. When I was at the Jets, that was uh, my last year at the Jets. Pete Carroll became head coach, and that was his his phrase. You know that we have to love love the process. And usually, you're talking about the tough things, the hard things, the long practices, running at six in the morning. You know all the things that we did that you would rather not do. 
but you created a mindset in your own mind that uh, you were not going to give up, you know, and so that was really what it was about. Honestly, my coaches taught me that, you know, um, Tom McCormick, Betty Ryan, Ken Blue, you know, you can never give up. You got to always find a way. And uh, so that's really what that phrase means. I love it. Love the process because it's so much easier for people to want to be part of if we play college football on a Saturday, you know, is ESPN and friends and family and fans are in the stadium watching the game. People want to perform, but it's the behind the scenes, the process to get to that. The 5 a.m. workouts, um, the studying, making sure you're eligible, uh, the lifting and things of that nature, watching the film, some of the stuff that people do not see behind the scenes that could be uh, trying sometimes. But again, love the process. I mean, that's something I, I truly, I truly love that phrase. Great. Coach, one more one more memory I pit. What stands out? Well, that's that's a tough one to narrow it down to one more memory. I'll um, give you two if you need it. <laughs> uh that's let me let me think here for a couple seconds. Um I think I think beating Notre Dame at Notre Dame was pretty sweet. That was in two thousand four. Uh, we kicked a field goal at the gun. Tyler Falco threw uh, five touchdown passes, the most ever by a visiting quarterback in the history of the stadium. But was really, what made it really great is they're very obnoxious people. They think that Notre Dame is, <laughs> is, is everything. Right. And um, so at the end of the game, you know, uh, we kicked it with hardly any time left. And so the people were still in the stands when the game was over. So walking off the field, I got a chance to look at a lot of disappointed Big shock, Notre Dame fans, and great credit to our football team uh, to come back and, and win the game uh, at, at Notre Dame. And so there's a little theme there. So that's two Notre Dame memories that that, uh, that, that you brought to light. That second Notre Dame memory, if, if my memory stands correct, I think that's the time uh, Paco, the quarterback at the time, had a, uh, a pretty memorable uh, post-game interview. Inter- interview. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. We won't, we, won't, we won't mention what he said, but that was pretty iconic. I, I think that they, they're supposed to bleep those things, you know, do it in advance. I think they did it in real time instead of, you know, some way of a, right. so they could bleep it themselves, you know. It was too bad because he took a lot of heat. He played a tremendous game. He was just being him, you right. know, and uh, thank God he was on the field. But I also got to remember one other game because it does come back to me is uh, when we beat West Virginia in triple overtime yep. our first year yep. to, qual- to qualify for a bowl. It was truly amazing. Uh, one of the names that I, I want to, I would like to talk about associated with that is the uh, guy by the name of Frank Moore. And Frank was a defensive lineman, and uh, my first year there at Pitt, we had a 6 a.m. workouts, and we had um, we did down-ups. And the hard part about doing down-ups is you run in place, and you stay down, and they land on their, their bellies, and they, they push up and get up running, you know, and then they down. And right. One thing you can't, the one of the rules was you can't get up off your knees. Right. You got you to push up. Well, Frank wasn't conditioned enough and so I was uh, over and uh, zealous uh, rookie head coach so I sent him down the other end he couldn't work out with us make a long story short uh, on Amos Zaraways who was a running back 
500 pound bench press, about five foot nine, about 205 pounds for West Virginia. On the, his 40th carry, carry, he fumbled, and Frank Moore recovered the fumble. How about that? And so just just within the last two or three months, Frank had a birthday, and every once in a while, I look at Facebook. And so I wished him a happy birthday, and I thanked him for what he taught me about how to, uh, as a head coach, because I got, I was, I was over the top, you know, too much, too much toughness, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so it was great. It was great to hear from him. And so that was a great memory because that was a great win over West Virginia. Huge win. And so that was, I was a senior in high school. I remember watching that game. And I'm not sure if I committed already. If not, I was planning to do so. But that helped me make my decision, made me proud to be a future Pitt Panther watching that as well. So yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a tremendous win, a tremendous game. Yeah, those, those, those seniors were, were just tremendous. And speaking of that, Coach, you brought something up you know, about a young coach being sometimes a little overzealous. So what have you learned over the years of just dealing with young, with young men? Wow, I, I, obviously I've learned a lot. You know, hopefully I've learned more good things than, than bad things. But I, I you know, I, I think it goes back to my upbringing. Uh, my mom and dad gave me an opportunity to be an athlete, but I had to be a student first. You know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a drink of any kind of alcohol until the banquet after my senior year of college, and so I wanted to commit everything I had to being a better. Uh, person, football player, student. And um, so that's one of the great things I think about being an intercollegiate athlete or, or, or a high school athlete is you learn sacrifice, you learn dedication, and you learn about team. So, um, you know, hopefully those are things I, I transferred to our football players and um, hopefully they'll do the same thing with their family or their, their uh, workers or work for them or work with them or whatever. Yeah. And so I would like to, you know, thank you in this public forum for giving me the opportunity to play at the University of Pittsburgh. I mean, some of my best friends, those I call friends and brothers and my relationships is because of the opportunity to play at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, so I thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for the, the, the entire the entire staff and entire team there. Uh, in addition to that, it's been interesting because I feel like now our relationship is stronger now than when it was when I was a student student athlete. Part of it is because I was playing defense. You was also the um, offensive side of things, and and I've I've grown as a person because some of the things maybe I didn't fully understand uh, what you or the coaches were were saying, and maybe I was like pushed back a little bit. I didn't fully understand it. Now I have a better understanding of of that, and so growing uh, growing personally as well, and so. Uh, so how has that affected you as well? Like, have you feel like have you grown since uh, coaching as well, personally? I I think I think the best uh, answer I can give is the reality that I was uh, deeply hurt when I got let go, or we got let go basically at Pitt, and yet I'm back here, and I tried to bury the sword because I think. What good would it do to still carry, you know, uh, some dislike of what happened, and and also it kept me. It would it would have kept me from seeing my ex players. So I've really, I've really enjoyed being back here because 
Um, I, that's the right thing to do. And I had an opportunity now to be around uh, Eck players. I wish I could be around them more. Uh, I know Pitt had a uh, alumni uh, at the football game, but they never contacted me. So we got these, I'm up in the stands and I see all our ex, a lot of these ex players on the side with you and some other guys on the sidelines, and I'm sitting in the stands because nobody told me that that was the day that they were going to do it, which I didn't think was right, especially. Uh, the way I, I have taken uh, what it, what happened in the past. So the the reward for me uh, being back here, besides it's the home of my wife and and all her kids are here. Now my my daughter's here and my sons one of my sons are here. Um, is the fact that I get to see my ex football players and I really really uh, treasure that time. Yeah, that's important because that's interesting because even when I think as a as as a, a business owner or, or a coach, if you will. Uh, sometimes being frustrated with those that 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 you would hope to have a great appreciation for the work that you're doing, they don't reciprocate that support or or that approval or that acknowledgement. But where I find comfort is those. The reason why I would do this work, they appreciate it and they've grown and they benefit from it. And so I share that with you is that you know you have a number of players who have grown and learned a lot because of the time of sacrifice you put in even even during those times when others may not be recognizing that. So I wanted to acknowledge that coach. Well, thanks, Sean. It's, we we have some similarities there it seems like, you know, because uh, you get frustrated with some of the things that they are not doing which if I was in your shoes, I would get frustrated as well because I think they're missing an opportunity you know to sell the program because you're utilizing here in pittsburgh uh pit football players you know and nothing could be finer than to allow uh, older men to be or men the older elder uh, older kids to be mentored by um uh or to be mentors of younger kids you know i, I just think it's it's volumes uh about what Orange Arrow is, is doing for the young people of this area. And speaking of Orange Arrow, Coach, so I mean, you're a former board member, continued supporter of the work. And so why is the mission of Orange Arrow coaching student-athletes to aim for success off the field? Why is that important to you? Well, um, the most important thing is we're trying to uh, – Orange Arrow is affecting a level uh, or an age group of, of young and mostly young boys uh, and young girls now, from what I understand. Correct. And um, it really helps them at an age that's kind of they're floundering around, you know, because they're not quite high school guys yet. They're in that junior high, eight to nine, uh, seven to eight area. It's an area where a lot of kids are lost. You know, they become... They go into other things, and uh, with with the challenge that we have of living, I mean, right now with the COVID nineteen and what it's doing, the uh, the the divide, the vision in our in, in America, uh, which is so sad. Um, I can't believe, quite honestly, I'm gonna say it. I can't quite believe uh, what these Republicans are are thinking about. You know what. What, what values they have uh, because of what some of the things I've seen. Um, it's just a tough, tough world. So I really think you're making 
a big impact on the people that you can reach. And it's, glad, it's great that you've been able to expand to another part of the country, and hopefully you keep on expanding. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And so, so as we wrap up, uh, we had originally scheduled this Zoom meeting for another day, this podcast um, interview, but we had to adjust it because something else came up on your schedule. So you had a tea time. And so, Coach, I enjoy the game of golf. I'm looking to improve because you really love and enjoy the game of golf. So how did I begin? Where did I come from? I think, I think the only, what's great for me about golf is I'm not very good. I'm not very athletic, not very uh, limber, not flexible, but it's, it's an opportunity to compete. And, and I don't bet and I'm not really competing against anybody else. I'm really competing against myself. And that's what I miss about not, being a head coach or not playing basketball anymore or not playing football anymore, you know, is the op- opportunity to compete. So it gives me an opportunity to see if I can take this bad body, a 73-year-old, and see if I can make a better golfer of him. Awesome, awesome, Coach. Well, I look forward to the opportunity for us to get back out there. I know you live in Pittsburgh now. You also have a home in Florida. So whether when, the, when we get through this quarantine phase, whether I could – connect with you in Pittsburgh and when you're back in Florida looking forward to the opportunity to get back out there and play around with you you know what's so great is I get to play with my our, uh, my ex-players you know and you guys are all such such great guys and, and uh, so I'm very very appreciative of that opportunity so thanks John thanks coach I appreciate you thank you for your time nothing but love love you coach and um, yeah we'll connect soon Okay, looking forward to it. All right, coach. Take care.